Orale, bienvenidos and welcome to the Familia FFB podcast. I'm your host, Jorge Martin, and today, vámonos, let's go to Hotlanta. You're the home of the, pe you know, the Georgia peach. The, you know, we've also got the Braves down there. We've also got Coca-Cola down there, but we've also got the Falcons, Los Falcones. And bringing us uh, into the in inside training camp is Michael Rothstein of ESPN NFL Nation. I mean, I'm so pumped to have this, uh, someone from the Worldwide Leader join our uh, independent podcast. Uh, Michael, bienvenidos. Thank you so much. Gracias for joining us. De nada, Jorge. It's exciting for me to be here. I'm, as I was telling you pre-show, I, I will do my best to mix in some Spanish. I've been learning for Spanish for about a year, and habla uh, hablo español poco, pero not fluent. So, like I said, I, I, I'll go here and there when I can if I can answer some of your questions in Spanish. But uh, hopefully, your readers will, or readers, listeners will, will bear with me with my. Uh, Mostly only English tongue. Oh, no, it's it, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, since we're the only Latino-focused podcast in English, hey, you know what? We mix in some Spanish here and there, so any effort is appreciated. And, uh, you know, let's kind of start at the top on here. Uh, you're, you've got a, a coaching change, new regime, head coach Arthur Smith coming over from the Titans. He's, he's really developed a reputation as an offensive guru over there, which uh, when you got guys like Derek Henry and A.J. Brown, uh, you, you put them in the right spots. They make you look really good you're um he's coming over to kind of like a very different team you don't have a derrick henry that that kind of jackhammer there you've got a veteran quarterback in matt ryan what is how is first off the the early days of both otas and early training camp how are how's the regime change kind of coming through and then if you could give us a look see into kind of like how the scheme may be shaping up offensively uh, let's start with the weather, which is muy caliente. Muy caliente. Uh, I, I don't remember what the, the word for humid is in Spanish. Humido. Humido. Y humido. Muy caliente y muy humido. It's been really hot, uh, especially today. We're recording this on, on August 10th. I'm not sure when it's going to drop. Uh, but it, today was particularly muggy out. But you're seeing the change already. And I wasn't here last year. This is my first year covering the Falcons. I was covering the Lions for eight years for ESPN before that. But one of the things I had heard a lot about the previous regime was that they were big into slogans. They were big into, you know, sayings, motivational, this, that, and the other. Arthur Smith is not like that. He said early on during a press conference uh, during training camp that he's not about the fluff. For him, it's really all about the football. And you can tell that in how he runs practice, in how he speaks to the media, and how he handles players, in what he's doing. And that has been a big difference. Now, what will that mean in September when they, you know, face Philadelphia? Who knows? Uh, you know, I, it's, it's next to impossible to really predict that. The preseason is always something you should take with a massive grain of salt. The Falcons in particular are being very vanilla- with everything that they're doing in practices, in practices that are open to the media, certainly in preseason games and the scrimmage they had at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday. So I don't think that we're going to get a real gauge for what this team can be. Maybe the preseason games, maybe Miami next week in the joint practices, but in reality, probably not until week three or week four of this season 
And there are a lot of questions, a lot of them defensively. Offensively, you kind of know what you have with Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, Russell Gage, Kyle Pitts, the number four overall pick, is a phenomenal talent. We'll see how that comes together. There are questions on the line. There's questions at running back. Uh, but it's right now, to me, just still a big, giant question mark right now with so much with the Falcons. Well, let's go. One of the you know, the preeminent holdovers from the team is the quarterback, Matt Ryan. And so much preseason, uh, not pre-draft talk was, are they going to draft his successor? Are they going to draft his successor? And, you know, they, we, they went to Kyle Pitts, uh, who we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes, but, um, he's been one of the past attempt leaders for several years. Uh, you know, in some of the, in kind of, you know, you, you talked about it's going to take three to four games to really see what this team is going to be, is going to look like. Is this just kind of uh, forecasting still to be a heavy passing oriented team? I think so. Arthur Smith's a guy who will scheme and play to his personnel. So based on the personnel they have, I don't see them being a team that's going to run Mike Davis, who's never had more than, I think, 160 carries in a season. Derrick Henry like numbers. And really, if you look at what they invested or didn't invest in running back behind Mike Davis, you have Cordero Patterson, who's kind of a hybrid running back wide receiver. You have Quadri Olison, who's hurt right now, but unproven at running back out of Pittsburgh from a couple of years ago. You have two undrafted free agents, and they signed Deonta Foreman, the former running back from Texas who's bounced around the league as well. So it's not exactly a formidable formidable group. This isn't like Cleveland where they've got Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and you know that okay, this team's going to run and run and run and and they're still running uh, like that type of thing. This is a team that's built for short passes, play action passes, two tight end sets with Kyle Pitts and Hunter Henry. Uh, or Hayden Hurst, sorry. I always do that. Hayden Hurst and Hunter Henry. I don't know why I do that. But Hayden Hurst, not Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry's in New England. Hayden Hurst. And then their receivers. Their receivers are pretty good, especially their top three in Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, and Olamide Zacchaeus. Beyond that, there are some depth questions, but you're talking about your four and your five receivers. The number four wide receiver right now is a guy named Tazay Sharp. He was with... Arthur Smith in Tennessee. So, and the number three tight end is Lee Smith. Again, a guy that Arthur Smith is really familiar with. So the depth has familiarity with Arthur Smith. So I would anticipate this scheme looks a lot different and the play calling looks a lot different than what we saw in Tennessee. I think there'll be some staples, some familiarity, some similarity, but not, this isn't like you're just taking the Tennessee scheme and being like, Blop, and drop it right into Atlanta. It's the same thing. The offense, maybe that happens in three years when they, or two years when they're able to really cycle through their guys and get who they want in there. But I just don't see that happening this year based off of the personnel that they have. Uh, so really, I mean, Matt, Matt Ryan, I think we, from a fantasy standpoint, I think we could still expect him to be, you know, maybe not one of the top 10 quarterbacks, but, you know, in like that next group that that's still going to throw for a lot of yard, throw for plenty of yards and, you know, a uh, respectable amount of touchdowns. Kinda. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because don't forget too, this, I don't, I mean, this team's defense, I don't think is good. Uh, we'll start there. I think they have some potential. They have some talent. Their secondary has actually looked quite strong during camp, but take that 
for what it is. It either means their secondary is really good or maybe the offense isn't as good as we think or it's the offense getting caught up to scheme. So I think there's a lot there, but this team could be behind in a lot of games, and that means more Matt Ryan throwing the ball, and that's what makes some quarterbacks, even if they're not the best quarterbacks in real life for fantasy purposes, makes them very relevant. It's why, you know, Sometimes a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick can be a very valuable fantasy quarterback, even though, you know, his teams don't exactly win games all the time. So I think that Matt Ryan can fit in that category, but he's also just been consistent. You know what you're getting from him. You're getting somewhere between 4,100 and 4,300 yards, somewhere between 25 and 30 touchdowns, somewhere between, you know, nine and 14 interceptions, three of which will leave you scratching your head as why he threw that pass in the first place. And that's what I think you're going to get from Matt Ryan this year. Now, maybe that changes because they don't have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. But by the end of the year, Calvin Ridley last year was looking more like the clear number one anyway, especially with Julio Jones being hurt. And I think that him being in that role as a clear number one will help him. And I think it's going to help Russell Gage too, who has a lot of potential but was in a number three hole and really what the fourth or fifth option generally out of the back feet or in the passing game most of last year. I don't think that is going to be the case this year. I think he'll probably be number three or number four behind Calvin Ridley. And when he's on the field, Kyle Pitts. Let's stick with the, let's stick with those uh, receivers. You, you wrote an article recently talking about where Calvin Ridley talked about how very openly about how his ankle, his uh, foot is fixed. Uh, I think that was in quotes uh, after after offseason surgery. Considering this guy had a pretty pretty much a monster year last year on that, it, and now, but you mentioned now the throne is all his. That the wide receiver one, he's not sharing it with Julio Jones, or he's the one B to or the the Robin to his Batman. What uh, what could be? I mean, are we looking at more of the same? I mean, it, it's hard to project any a better season than that. I think so. Because I think you're going to see so okay so Julio Jones I don't remember exactly what his targets were last year but let's just call them 130 for argument's sake right well a good portion of those I think are going to go to Kyle Pitts and then I think a lot of the rest of them are going to get spread around does this mean Calvin Ridley gets more targets this year yeah I would think so does this mean Calvin Ridley is going to get 70 more targets this year no it shouldn't. Uh, if it do, if that happens, then either Calvin Ridley's having one of the best seasons in history, or uh, everybody else is hurt. But that should not happen. I would think that a lot of the Julio Jones target share might go to Kyle Pitts because now they've got two tight ends they can really count on, where they didn't have that a season ago. And Pitts is a guy that he's going to be labeled a tight end, but. He is so much more than that. He can line up anywhere, Jorge. He can line up outside. He can line up in the slot. He can line up in line. He can run any route in the route tree. He's big. His hands are pretty good. He's struggled a little bit with drops, but I think that that's just getting acclimated at this point. I would not think that that is a concern yet, but he's just hes a really good player. He's as advertised, and if you're the Falcons, you have to feel really good about what you've seen in the first two weeks of training camp from Kyle Pitts and what that could mean in the long-term future. Tight ends often struggle in their rookie years. Now, I think you know Kyle Pitts has a chance to buck that trend and maybe be a very successful tight end as a rookie. But even if he's not, we just kind of know what we're looking at in terms of, hey, tight ends do X in year one, but then they, if they're good and Kyle Pitts is good, 
they they often take this type of jump in year two, this type of jump in year three. We've seen it with George Kittle. We've seen it. We're seeing it now with TJ Hawkinson in Detroit. We've seen it with Travis Kelsey before that. We've seen it over and over again with high-level tight ends of that type of jump. And I think that that's something that I'm really curious not to look too far ahead here, where obviously this is a podcast about 2021, but in 2022, what Kyle Pitts can be, especially if he plays as well as I think he can this year. Has you know you mentioned the drops? I mean, maybe it's because it's está poquito humido, so uh, you, you never know. What that, that, but you know, it's uh, you you talk so much about his talent. Are the you know and what he can do with all those targets that that were going to uh, Julio Jones last year. It really does seem like the expectations are beyond crazy for him. But I mean, the, the, it really does look like, you know, just from the highlights I've seen that that he could live up to at least a good portion of that, which even still would be a great rookie season. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tough to say, right? Like, I, can't, I don't expect him to be a thousand yard receiver as a rookie. I think that's unrealistic. I you know, you look at the when TJ so when TJ Hawkinson was a rookie and when he was in his second year, I was covering the Lions, and I did a deep dive into the research of sorry of early career tight ends because I've covered a, a few of them. Eric Ebron was another first round tight end that I covered. It's kind of a, a theme for me where I go. I cover I cover stars that want to be traded between Matthew Stafford uh, and Julio Jones, all pro receivers who who want to leave early, and, and Calvin Johnson, who's now a Hall of Famer, and Golden Tate getting traded, and and I cover teams like draft tight ends in the first round because there's been three in the past decade and I've covered all three of them. So yeah, I take that for what it's worth, but I I feel like I'm a little mini expert in this area in saying that, listen, these numbers, if he puts up five, 600 yards, it's a handful of touchdowns and has 60, 60 catches. That's a good year for a rookie tight end. Now that might not be a great year for a number four overall pick, but that's a good year for a rookie tight end that would put him very high up in the history of, of rookie tight ends. And then you build from there. Mark Andrews is another guy who had a good rookie year. And then he's arguing, you know, I think he's the, the best tight end nobody talks about. He's on Baltimore. And I can see something like that happening. But Kyle Pitts is a special, special talent. And I think in Arthur Smith's offense, Arthur Smith is a big tight end coach guy i mean that was how he came up so he obviously has an understanding of the position as well so i think all of these things can really help kyle pitts have a better rookie season than what we typically see from rookie tight ends i love it when you you answer my questions before i even ask them so it was perfect you uh this this has been great um you got uh you mentioned a little bit about russell gage a little bit uh, kind of like uh last one on the receivers uh so he's kind of clearly it, i mean projecting it out he's probably third in the pecking order just on the receive you know receivers if you include kyle pitts in that group yeah i would think so i, I think there will be days and games where he is the number two option or maybe even the number one option if say they're playing a team i'm trying to think on their schedule what team might really stand out as one that way tampa uh, in, in week mm. two would be one where their corners are good enough to their, their top corner is good enough to be maybe a problem for Calvin Ridley. They have good safeties over the top and good linebackers in coverage that can maybe handle or at least be problematic for Kyle Pitts. Well, if 
Tampa decides to take those two guys away, then Russell Gage maybe becomes your guy in single coverage and maybe Russell Gage ends up getting 10 targets that day and, and becomes that type of valuable receiver. I think he has that talent in him. I don't think that is a talent that the Falcons would want to have happen on a week-to-week basis because that means that you've got some issues with your scheme and, and issues with getting Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts open. But I think that Gage is good enough to be able to handle that on occasion. But I think he's a very solid number two receiver. He's a guy that last year when Julio Jones was hurt, he stepped in, stepped in well, and that was on the fly. And he had what? I think it was – I don't have it in front of me. It was I think, somewhere between 700, 800, between 700 and 800 yards receiving last year. And that was in kind of this hybrid role. Now he's an every-down player, going to get more work, going to get more targets. So I think that that – he could – if they have to pass the ball as much as maybe we think they will, maybe he ends up being a, a low-key, sneaky, thousand-yard receiver, especially if Kyle Pitts does have some rookie struggles and they feel they need to go more to Russell Gage or Gage has a couple blow-up games, which is possible with his speed and his skills. So I think that the opportunity is there for Russell Gage to be very, very good in this offense and from a fantasy perspective, be somebody who you can count on, not on a week-to-week basis, but you maybe want to roster him, keep him on your bench, and then look at the matchups and say, oh, hey, this team doesn't have a really solid second cornerback. Uh, there are a few matchups I can think of off the bat that that might be the case. And, hey, maybe play him this week in fantasy because that he, he has a chance to really be a very, very valuable piece that week to the Falcons winning or losing. Awesome. Well, let, let's. Uh, you touched on the running backs a little bit. You you mentioned Mike Davis coming over as a free agent. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, in the fantasy community and also the NFL were kind of surprised that the uh, Falcons really avoided uh, the running back position. Obviously, it's a team with a lot of needs. How do you see? You know, you mentioned Kadri Allison, Cordarrelle Patterson, Javian Hawkins, the the un, undrafted free agent rookie, and Dante Freeman. Uh, how do how do you see the running back touches kind of uh, breaking up on this team? Yo no sé. Yo no sé tampoco. By committee, uh, realistically. I mean, even with Mike Davis, it's it's by committee. Um, Mike Davis will be their running back one. He will get a lot of their carries, but then it ends up being a mix of a bunch of guys. And, and we'll see. And you didn't mention Caleb Huntley in there, who's a bigger back, who's run really well. And and frankly, Caleb Huntley's, Huntley's the type of guy that if Quadrio Wilson isn't careful, maybe steals a job. Uh, you know, Deontay Foreman, who they brought in, or Deonta Foreman, rather, who they brought in. Right now, to me, until I see something more from him, he's a guy that maybe they brought in because Olison's hurt, because they want to save Mike Davis in the preseason. He's a guy who's familiar with Arthur Smith's scheme. You can roll him out in the preseason, see what happens. And, and if he plays well, then then maybe maybe you put him on the roster. If he doesn't play well, okay, that, that's fine. To me, it's it feels more like an extra body situation, uh, and we'll see what happens once Olison gets healthier. Uh, Olison, I wrote a large story on him actually on Saturday and what he's done to relearn how to run actually. And, and went into the, the deep dive into the mechanics of that and what they did in hopes of really jumpstarting his career, because really to this date, it has been, at least from a running perspective, not much of one. And you look at the stats and that bears that out last year, he couldn't get on the field in, in a bad 
situation altogether at the Falcons. So I look at it and I, I don't know exactly how it's going to manifest itself because I don't think they know exactly what the, who the running backs are going to be other than Mike Davis. And I think that that's going to come into play. And it would not shock me if it sometimes depends on the week too. You know, there could be weeks where Cordero Patterson becomes your most valuable guy because you can put him a whole bunch of places. You know, if you if you see a matchup where, say, a t- an opposing team's linebackers are slow, and you know that, right? Like, you, you, you're looking at it, you're like, well, they don't have a guy who can cover a running back. Well, that, to me, might be if Arthur Smith is as scheme smart as he, se- as he seems to be, that might be a week where, hey, you're going to try and exploit that so you get Cordero Patterson on the field more because he can run wheel routes and wheel route that opposing linebacker or that opposing safety to, to death and, and to death for that team's chance of victory. So to me, I think it's going to be very dependent on the week with some of these guys, but I think Mike Davis is going to have a role every week. Uh, I think beyond that, we don't know anything yet. And uh, I know there were people who were excited that, Oh, you know, Caleb Huntley had this run. JV and Hawkins had this run uh, from what they saw on the Mercedes Benz scrimmage or some stuff during training camp, but there was no tackling. And the blocking was what it was because of the requirements or lack or limitations rather from hitting. So this Friday and next week, we'll really start to give a gauge for who these other running backs on the roster might be. Uh, and by the way, that Kadri Allison feature, muy, muy bueno, muy bueno, numero uno. Gracias. Fantastic. Fantastico. Um, two last football questions. The offensive line, uh, you mentioned that it's uh, a little bit of a work in progress. Kind of how do you uh, forecast that group kind of coming together? It's a group that's ranked number 24 by Pro Football Focus, some youth, some veteran. How do you how do you how's that group shaping up? Sure. And, and let's start here that you should always take the Pro Football Focus ratings with the appropriate grains of salt. Uh, because no, because they don't necessarily know scheme. They don't know blocking assignments. I've had linemen tell me this. This is my ninth year covering the league. I've had linemen tell me this for nine years. Like, sure, that what they do is good and what they do is valuable and what they do is ametric, but it's not the end all be all. Uh, the Falcons right now have, I think, three positions pretty set. Jake Matthews is a left tackle. Matt Hennessy really seems to have won that center job outright. And then Chris Lidstrom at right guard. The other two spots are, uh, we'll see. Uh, Josh Andrews seems to be the left guard right now. He was getting pushed by the rookie, Drew Dahlman, who is also the backup center. So we'll see how that maybe shakes out in games. I, I don't think that that competition's quite over yet, although Andrews has gotten the large bulk of the work. Then there's right tackle, which is um, no bueno right now. Uh, in that you, you have Caleb McGarry who's coming back from pop. So he, former first-round pick, you would think he would be the starter, but he hasn't really want, run with the ones yet. But they're getting him acclimated and get kind of ramping him up. So he may still very well be the guy at right tackle. And if you asked me to have to you know, say today who I think their day one right tackle will be, I think it will be Caleb McGarry. But Willie Beavers is a guy that apparently has really impressed during camp. He got moved up from kind of the, the depths of the roster to – being the number one guy on Friday, midway through Friday's practice. And then he got all of the number one reps on Saturday, all of the number one reps on Monday and the bulk of them on Tuesday, 
other when other than when Caleb McGarry worked in and, and Caleb McGarry, by the way, on Monday worked in here or there for uh, a snap or two, but it was largely Willie Beavers. Jalen Mayfield to that point had been, sorry, I'm blocking the camera. Jalen Mayfield to that point had taken all of the first team reps at right tackle. He's a third round pick out of Michigan. Then all of a sudden on Friday, he mysteriously gets sent to the second field and we're like, all right, maybe they're just trying something. Maybe he's just having a bad practice. He, he's not taking a first-team snap since. And that was very interesting to me. Uh, when I asked Arthur Smith about it, he said that you know, he's trying to create competition. And But to me, competition, and, and I've said this too, is, to me, competition is when you're, you're seeing guys really compete. There's like It's been Willie Beaver's. So, you know, practice after practice. Now, watch. I say this on Tuesday, and now on Wednesday, it'll be Jalen Mayfield and Caleb McGarry, and there'll be no sign of Willie Beavers. That's just how this goes in training camp. But that right tackle spot's a big concern, I think, for what this line's going to be. Because you know what you're getting out of Jake Matthews. You know what you're getting out of Chris Lindstrom. We'll see what happens with Matt Hennessy. This is his first year really being a starter because he was playing behind Alex Mack before. And then left guard still remains to be a question. I think that those left guard, right tackle are going to be the positions to watch in the preseason games and in those joint practices against Miami. And you kind of figure out what that's going to look like from there. But to me, I've always been a believer and taking this from talking to linemen that you have to have continuity there and you have to get as many snaps as possible. So I would think that they need to work this out as soon as they possibly can to make sure that these five guys are all understanding what it's like to play together and get some reps like that before they're playing the Eagles in week one uh, on September 11th, 12th, whatever day that is. I got to tell you, much as I love talking about offense and fantasy players, I always love a good O-line breakdown because I really think they're just kind of – there's no fantasy success without those guys doing their jobs. So No, there's no football without the offensive line. It'll be seven – every flag football, which which frankly, Jorge, you and I could probably have a better shot at – well, maybe you. I, I can't. Um, that, you know, that, than anything else. Like the line, the line is what makes the difference, I think, and – they often go overlooked because there's not any sort of stats or any sort of anything really that makes them, you know, but there, I, I mean, from an interview perspective, I also really enjoy talking with offensive linemen when I can talk to them one-on-one -on -one because they're also often some of the smartest players on the team and the most insightful into what's really going on both within the team and within a certain play, because they have to understand all of it. Uh. Incredible. Well, last football question. And you already touched on the defense a little bit. The, you know, the, this team was really, you know, not, they were bad against the pass last year. So uh, decent, decent uh, toward the end of the season uh, against the run. Where do you see kind of the, the uh, strengths, weaknesses uh, this year on the defense? Total slow spark from dust. <laughs> In that they have, okay. So they have good top end talent. Grady Jarrett's one of the better interior defensive linemen in the league. Deion Jones and Foya Olakun are, and I think I just butchered his name, still working on it. Again, new on the beat, uh, are high-level linebackers. And Deion Jones is a great coverage linebacker. Foya can kind of do a little bit of everything. At corner, A.J. Terrell was a rookie last year. He has been, to me, the star of training camp. He has been dominant. He makes plays every single day in camp. And if he is 
95% of what I've seen in camp, he has the potential to be maybe a top 10 corner this year. That's how good he's looked. And there are other, there are other secondary pieces have been okay. I mean, you have two solid veterans back there at safety and Eric Harris and Deron Harmon. And you have Fabian Moreau at the other corner. Well, that's not an exciting name. He's perfectly fine number two cornerback. You know, especially when you're bringing in a veteran guy. They they drafted a couple corners, but they were day three picks. I don't expect either one of them to start or really even play all that much. Avery Williams might end up winning the punt return job, but I think that's the only way he gets on the field, barring injuries as a rookie. So their top end talent is good. Their depth is where there's some major, major questions. And, and it, all that really starts with the pass rush too, because that's, I think, the biggest question mark on the team. They didn't really do anything to address pass rush. They brought back Stephen Means, but Stephen Means is a rotational guy. They brought in Brandon Copeland, but Copeland's more of a, you can kind of plug him in anywhere, and he's a really good special teams guy type player. He's not going to get you double-digit sacks. Dante Fowler, they're obviously hoping, will rebound from a poor 2020 but that's a lot to put on Dante Fowler's shoulders. And you look at everything else, and it's uh, it's rookies, it's unproven guys, and I just don't know where that pass rush is going to be coming from. And it, it may come from the interior with Grady Jarrett, but if that's the case, you need to have guys who can really seal and clean that up because as quarterbacks escape the pocket, you need a defensive end or a linebacker there to to clean that up. Otherwise, you're you're sunk. And I just don't know if the Falcons have that. And that's, to me, one of the biggest questions that won't get answered until, you know, that week three, week four that I was talking about uh, of the regular season, because I just don't think you're going to get that answer in preseason when it comes to the defense. So that's a major hole to me. I think their secondary has the potential to be a strength and their top end linebackers have potential to be strengths as well. But both of those spots are very thin where one injury – uh, especially at corner or at linebacker, and that that can get really, really trying really, really quick from a football perspective. All right. Well, one last one. A fun. It's always the fun question I love to close with. What are your favorite types of tacos? Ooh. So, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I can give – we've been going about a half hour. I could give a half hour's worth of, of taco and arepa and uh, – you know, enchilada and, and fajita type conversation. I, I love food. I'm a big foodie. I actually can't eat certain foods. Uh, so usually I stick with corn because I can't eat flour. So usually corn tortillas, corn tacos. Um, and I don't eat, I don't eat red meat anymore. So that eliminates some things, but get me a good fish taco. And I am, I'm a happy person. Get me like a chicken tinga taco or, uh, trying to think, this they put me on the spot here. Uh, I, there was I forget where I was, but I had these these great tacos with duck, and those were fantastic. But yeah, just give me ta- so I live across the street from a bar taco, and bar tacos obviously a chain, but their tacos are pretty good. Uh, nothing to me though is as good as kind of the hole in the wall. You've never heard of it spot, and going there for any type of food, any type of food, period. That's what I prefer. I haven't found those places in Atlanta yet for Mexican food for tacos, uh, but I'm on the lookout for them. If any of your listeners can send me some suggestions, I would be greatly appreciative. So that's their homework for this. Um, But I'm also a big Arepas fan, and uh, I actually found this place in Vegas in June that it's it's actually technically on Las Vegas Boulevard. 
but it's kind of in the middle between the strip and downtown. So like, you're not like, there's no reason for you to really be there, but this place is awesome. Like it's some of the best Arabas I've had. I found another place in Philly that it, like I was the only person in there, but it was fantastic. Sorry to go off. I, I know I'm avoiding the taco question, but um, yeah, I, tacos, I'm all about it. And you, you know, I, I like my tacos with, with some pico, with with some cheese, with some guac, if I can have them, have it. And like I said, generally a corn shell, whether it's a soft corn shell or a hard corn shell, get some maybe fajita vegetables in there as well, if it's maybe a higher end taco place. And then more than likely chicken or shrimp or fish for me in that. But sometimes places are really creative and the more creative they are with what they put in their tacos, the more excited I get. Oh, well, it's lunchtime out here in LA. So you got me fired up. You got me hungry, man. Oh, I, I will admit this is terrible because I've been trying to make sure I've been good in, in training, but I had, I created my own ice cream sandwich. That was lunch today because that's how hot <laughs> it's been here. So, uh, that is, that is what I'm eating these days is I'm just gorging on sugar and, and pastry product, gluten-free pastry products to kind of make sure I can, uh, uh, you know, survive. Oh, well, that's what, that's, that's why the corn tortillas are the best. So they're able to get you through that, uh, anything gluten-free and hey, yeah, try absolutely. I, cold tacos aren't like cold pizza, but, uh, they still can make the. <laughs> no, there was, so I used to live in Michigan, right? And there was this place in Ann Arbor that to, I loved it. it. It's called Isolita. If any of your listeners ever go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, go to Isolita. Their fajitas are fantastic, but they do a really good job with tacos. They have like six, seven different types of tacos that they mess around with. Big, big fan of that place. There's also a place called Cella's, which is more of that hole-in-the-wall variety that I was talking about. Isolita's is def- decidedly not a hole-in-the-wall. Um, but those are my two really go-to places when I lived in Ann Arbor. And like I said, I don't have any in Atlanta yet, but on the lookout. So hopefully someone can come through and, and find me a good taco place here in uh, in Atlanta. I'd be greatly appreciative. Or you know what? Someone's got to find you some ceviche. You can have that cold and that's... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Give it, Bring it. Bring it okay. on. Bring all of that food on, Jorge. When, we I, shared... when I come out to LA, you got to send me to the best taco place in LA. I'm, I'm oh. hoping you that. Well, okay, guisados. So we're gonna, we, yes, guisados, and we'll 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 meet up. Oh, you, it, it's oh, I I got, I got. There's multiple locations. It's the best place. It's fantastic. So. I'm, I'm sold. Now, see, now I'm just gonna get on a plane to LA. Forget the forget the preseason. Forget training camp. I'll, I'll see you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and truth be told, any taco truck is gonna is gonna be just a nine. Yeah, you know, compared to compared to pretty much anywhere. So, uh, <laughs> hey, I know you were short on time. So, uh, Michael, I so appreciate this. I I laughed more than than I have in most of these, and 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 all of these have been incredibly uh, entertaining. And I so appreciate the the Spanish. Uh, otra vez, uh, can you share where people can find your great work? Sure. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. All of my stuff's at ESPN.com. I'm usually pretty interactive with people. Uh, occasionally I will try and answer in Spanish if I can. Uh, if you, if you ask me a question in Spanish, there's also the beautiful thing called Google translate if I can't. So I'm going to at least make an effort. Uh, and yeah, more than happy to, and thank you again for having me on and let's do this again another time soon.
Love it. Love it. Uh, Familia, eso es todo for our show. Uh, thanks again to Anchor for being our hosting network and for YouTube for putting our faces out there. Please make sure to subscribe on, on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify. Find original content at FamiliaFFB.com. You can find me at Jorge Martin 17 on Twitter and you can find go to at FamiliaFFB on Twitter and Instagram. You can find a, you can find us there too. Otra vez, Michael, thank you so much. Muchas gracias for doing this. And everybody, todos somos familia. Salud.